Welcome to the Sticky CMO, brought to you by award-winning marketer Tom Baskill. This is the podcast for CMOs who want to become indispensable. Each week, Tom is joined by expert guests on the cutting edge of their fields to help you level up where it matters. From socials to lead gen, each episode is packed with actionable tips for marketers looking to become irreplaceable in their organizations, because 2023 is the year to become sticky. Hello, and welcome to the Sticky CMO podcast. I'm here with Jason Bradwell. He's a fractional CMO, the founder of B2B Better, a marketing agency, and the host of the popular B2B Better podcast. He's an expert in analyzing and auditing marketing strategies, developing lead generation systems, and really building marketing teams that get stuff done. He's somebody that I've followed on the internet for quite a while, so I'm really delighted to have him onto the podcast. Jason, how are you doing? I'm delighted at that introduction. I mean, you said some things about me that I don't think anyone's ever said about me before. So now I appreciate that. And I'm really pleased to be here and have the opportunity to finally talk with you face to face, Tom. Yeah, I'm excited. I wanted to kick off discussing the need for fractional CMOs in the B2B space and and the effect that they can have on a growing business. So what specific skills and experience should a fractional CMO bring to the table or should a startup or early business expect to get from a fractional CMO? Mm. It's a really great question. And I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast will understand what a fractional CMO is. But just a quick 15 second explainer, a fractional CMO is someone who performs all the duties and the function of a chief marketing officer, but they do it on a limited or a part time basis, right? Essentially, they are a consultant that comes into your organization. And the best ones are the ones who work themselves out of a job. They are not a permanent or long term solution, right? They're working you to a point where your business is in a position that hopefully it can hire its own in-house chief marketing officer. Now, I recently came from a conference, SAS Open in New York, where I gave a talk on this very subject, you know, when do you hire a fractional CMO and what are you looking for to know it's the right time? Because I think there are a lot of founders out there who they achieve some degree of product market fit or they take on that kind of series A and they're saying, great, I'm going to invest all of that in marketing. I don't have a marketing function already. It's something I need. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to hire a chief marketing officer. Most times that's a bad idea because unless your business has fulfilled a couple of prerequisites that A, they have five to 10 marketing resources already in place, either in-house or external, whether they are willing to commit 10% of their annual recurring revenue to marketing and they have a really clear idea of what their value proposition is, who their ICP is, and, and they've achieved product market fit. Hiring a chief marketing officer without those kind of three things in place is basically hiring a chef in a really expensive kitchen, but not giving them the ingredients to cook with. So I think the first place I'd start is as a business deciding, is now the right time for me to be hiring not just a fractional CMO, but any CMO at all? And if you don't have those prerequisites, odds are probably not. If you do have those prerequisites in place, they themselves are still not a reason to go out there and just hire a fractional CMO or a CMO. There are other things that you should be looking for. I call them my trigger events. Is your business going Mm -hmm. through a moment of change? This could be gearing up for an acquisition. This could be gearing up for an exit. It could be launching a new product. It could be taking on new investment. It could be big shifts in the market underneath you. These are things that could be an indicator that hiring someone to come in and take on that strategic marketing lead role is a good idea idea. Another thing is that maybe you have a marketing function, there's lots of movement, but not much momentum. So what I mean by that is lots of stuff is going out of the door, but it's not delivering the return on investment that you as a business leader would expect to see from that marketing function. 
And the third thing is, are we selling into or preparing to sell into enterprise accounts? Right. When you've got those prerequisites, once you've identified one of those trigger events, and we've made the decision now as an organization that we should be going out and hiring a fractional CMO, the attributes that you should be looking for in that individual are things like, do they have demonstrable experience of building and scaling marketing strategies from the stage of the business that you are in at the moment, right? A CMO that's come from one of the FANG companies and is now billing themselves as a fractional CMO is probably not going to be the right fit for a business that's at like their seed round or their series A. It's just a different type of business. If you're an organization that's not selling a solution across multiple sectors, you're going after one particular industry, having a fractional CMO that already has the connections, the domain expertise of that industry is something that you may wish to look out for. And also someone I'd say that is able to help you recruit and has the Rolodex either of potential in-house hires or external agencies and freelancers that they can call on when they've built the strategy, they understand what needs to be done the conversation's turning to execution. If we don't have the resources in place, where are we going to find them? I'd be expecting a fractional CMO to be coming to the table and saying, because I work with these people all the time on other clients, here's a list of vetted, recommended individuals that can come in and fill some of these gaps. Right. I mean, when you're starting at the fractional CMO level, you need someone to come in and get started quickly, right? If you're on a seed or a series A, you've got a limited time window to get things working. So you really do need somebody who's got that Rolodex, who's got that network to come in and get these pieces. How does the role of a fractional CMO really differ from the full-time? So when you have someone full-time, they are fully dedicated to you, but that comes with an extra expense, right? So how do you know whether you need the fractional folks or a full-time CMO? In terms of the actual kind of function of a chief marketing officer and a fractional chief marketing officer, they're more or less the same. It's kind of how that's packaged for a business. An in-house CMO is someone who is going to be responsible for strategy. In my experience, they also have a slightly higher tolerance for execution. So if you are in an early stage startup and resources are tight, if you have an in-house CMO, it's just about wearing as many hats as you can and getting the job done, even if you don't necessarily have resources to outsource execution to. Whereas a fractional CMO, I've never come across a fractional CMO who's willing to pick up the pen, so to speak, and write copy or do any of that executional stuff. If you're hiring a fractional CMO, it's on the understanding that they are there to run strategy. They may be managing external executional resources, but they're not doing the execution themselves. In-house CMO, there's also an institutional knowledge advantage there. They're an individual that's really going to get under the hood of your organization because they're living and breathing it 40 hours a week. A fractional CMO is obviously on a part-time basis. There is a limit to how far their knowledge for your individual company, not so much in terms of your value proposition, but politics and things of that nature is going to, is going to stretch. In-house CMOs, they have an availability advantage over fractional CMOs, and also they make sometimes for a stronger cultural fit. If that's important to you to have senior leadership on staff in team, then hiring an in-house CMO is the way to go. As a general rule, more broadly to new industry trends, like we're seeing generative AI coming up right now. As a fractional CMO myself, a lot of clients are asking me about that. As an in-house CMO, maybe there isn't that kind of demand to stay on top of those trends as keenly as someone like a fractional CMO. They have a flexibility and an agility advantage. From a flexibility standpoint, you turn them up, you turn them down, depending on what you need at that moment. 
And they can also get started really quickly. If you're hiring an in-house CMO, you're looking at kind of a three-month discovery phase, two-month interview phase, a three-month someone serving out their notice period phase, and then kind of six months getting them onboarded. A fractional CMO, you can get started within a month. So if you're a business that really needs someone to get going quickly, maybe a fractional CMO makes more sense. And then, of course, the other big advantage of a fractional CMO is price. If for no other reason, price is a factor in this equation and preserving cash flow and ensuring that we have the ability to scale things up, scale things down, depending on how the business kind of fares over the next few months in the current macroeconomic climate, then a fractional CMO is probably the way to go. You're not going to get them full time, but they're going to give you that strategic marketing leadership that you need at a fraction of the cost. If price isn't a consideration, then the other thing questions I'd be asking myself is, to what extent do I need this leadership exposure within my business right now? Do I have like a really strong director of marketing? And for the most part, they're handling things, but they just need a little bit of oversight. Maybe then a fractional CMO makes sense. Or do I just have like a team of juniors that they're doing their best, but they don't really know what they're doing. And we need to get an in-house CMO and really give them full-time 24-7 oversight and support. That might be another consideration to keep in mind when trying to make that decision. So I think it's really a practicality question for most clients. One of the directions that this podcast is going is really helping CMOs stay in their jobs longer. So the median tenure for a CMO is like 2.2 years. As a fractional CMO, you get to work with a lot more businesses than an in-house CMO would get to work with. Do you have any advice for CMOs in becoming more indispensable to their business? Yeah, I mean, what it all ultimately boils down to, and this isn't like some sort of eureka moment, it shouldn't be for anyone listening to this, but is my work delivering on the commercial success of this business? You're not going to get fired if you are able to attribute your efforts into helping the business close more deals, right? And you're able to do that consistently and you're able for when you take a kind of macro view, do that in a way that the chart's going up and to the right, I think that where we are right now in terms of the macroeconomic environment, we of course want to continue doing the fun, creative and sexy stuff. My word of caution would be if you're not able to justify that in terms that a CFO at the end of the year is going to understand and agree with, I would caution the use of your time, energy and budget on those activities. That's not to say that you shouldn't carve off some portion of your overall efforts into taking bets, but stick with the things that you know are going to work and make that the kind of 80-20 rule. Make that 80% of your efforts and focus the 20 on the more kind of creative stuff, but just be considerate of those proportions. Mm. When I'm thinking of being a little bit more conservative and working with the things that we know work, I immediately think of whatever makes sales happy, honestly. So whatever is getting them the MQLs that they need to convert is the focus and branding, it might be in your 20%. Absolutely. And I think it comes from somewhat of a privileged position to say, we as a marketing team are going to take it upon ourselves to drive the commercial success of this organization. And We're going to make these big bets in demand generation that we've seen on LinkedIn because we all intuitively know that that's the way things should be done. And if the leadership and sales team don't get on board with that, well, then screw them. I'm going to go and work somewhere else Mm. that does understand that. We've got to think in reality here, right? Your point about if sales are happy with us, 
then the company is going to be happy with us is definitely my experience. They're going to be asked at the end of the year, if you didn't hit quota, well, did marketing do everything that you needed them to do in order to give you the tools to do your job and close deals? They're either going to say yes or they're going to say no. So what can you do over the course Mm -hmm. of the year to make sure that they say yes? Totally agree there. Totally agree. To get a little bit more meta on a podcast talking about B2B podcasting, (laughs) I'd love to hear what you think about the role of podcasting for B2B businesses. I know we're taking less of a strategy and now more to the brass tacks and tactics, but I'd love to hear how you found podcasting working just even for you. Mm. I think podcasting is still one of the most underutilized content formats out there for B2B companies in order to build brand awareness, acquire new leads, and close down pipeline. There are a lot of organizations out there that are investing a lot of money and energy and time pursuing old school tactics like investing in big booth trade shows or spanking a bunch of cash on like a trade association partnership or hiring a really expensive SEO agency to like help them rank their commodity blog content. A podcast episode much like we're doing now, it's 60 minutes, right? Now, I don't want to discount it. You need to do the preparation. You need to ensure that the podcast has an interesting premise, an interesting hook. You need to do the research on who's going to be the appropriate guest to help us talk about our subject of choice. But all of that kind of stuff can be done by the biomarketing team and then can be kind of handed over and briefed into an executive. Let's say it was a CEO that was hosting your podcast. And then they only have to commit one hour of their time actually doing the interview. And then on the other side of that, if we're looking at it as a sandwich, marketing take that interview and they package it up and produce all the promo assets and out it gets there. So I think it's a relatively low lift. I think from a repurposing perspective, you can just do more with a podcast episode than you can with like a blog post. You can turn a podcast into micro video clips. You can turn it into a newsletter and a blog post. You could turn it into sales enablement collateral. I would just say if you're thinking about starting a podcast... Don't think about it as how do I create a piece of really high quality creative that's going to sound and look great and win awards and make everyone feel happy. How am I going to use it as a critical part of my growth engine that ultimately is going to result in closed one revenue? The objective is how does this podcast enable my business to win new clients? So that's just the point of distinction I'd make there for anyone listening to this and thinking about starting up their own. I would also say social media is my background. I've been doing it for 15 years now. And the trend that I am seeing is more off the cuff, less produced, bloopers, more mistakes. And so the idea of a perfect podcast, while wonderful, that's not what you need. If we're talking about minimum viable or lean marketing, you really just need a computer camera and a computer mic and you can go. Yeah, I'm with you. It goes back to my point about like the relatively low lift of setting up a podcast. There's very little costs associated with launching a podcast. It's really just the time that goes into the preparation and the production of it. I would also say to your point there about this kind of trend to more of a off-the-cuff piece, I think you're absolutely right. We are seeing more of that authentic kind of video and audio content out there where marketing teams are managing to put their executive team in more of a human light. I would also say, though, on the flip side of that, production value and format is a differentiator. Particularly, you're working in an industry that is becoming saturated with brand podcasts like MarTech, for example. Mm. Recording a 60-minute interview with someone who's already been interviewed 100 times that you stick a jingle on either end and you say, hey, great, we've got a podcast now. You're just going to end up fading a little bit into the rest of the podcasts out there like that. 
if you can find a way to develop some sort of interesting format or hook or premise, you invest a little bit more in higher production value. Maybe you look at renting or even building out a studio. It's not that expensive if you do it right. That can be a differentiator. It doesn't all have to be about the content necessarily. I've noticed with B2B Better, my podcast, since starting to take more of a narrative-driven style as opposed to just the kind of Q&A interview where I'm like interjecting my own thoughts and takeaways based on the answers my guests provided during the recording and post-production, I have definitely noticed a rise in qualitative positive feedback. People reaching out and saying that they love the new style, it stand out from other B2B marketing podcasts out there. And you can play around with both of these things and know that 12 months from now, if you start a podcast tomorrow, 12 months from now, you will look back and you will think, man, those first couple of episodes were terrible. It's <laughs> just the baptism of fire. You have to go through it. That's part of the fun with this format. You can just play around with it more, maybe more than you can doing with just a text-based medium. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at brands creating their own podcasts, are there common mistakes, things that they can look out for, pitfalls to avoid? first one is figuring out how you're going to attribute success. So again, back to my point, look at this through the marketing lens and how are we going to use this tool to enable us to achieve our marketing objectives. So being very clear on what success looks like and how you're going to track it. It's not just downloads. It doesn't have to be just downloads. And in fact, I'd say that for the majority of B2B podcasts out there, looking at downloads as the kind of qualification of success can be somewhat risky, particularly if you're working in a niche saying that we want to be hitting like Joe Rogan numbers and when we sell like logistics software or something, you're probably setting yourself up for disappointment. So be clear on what success looks like and make sure that you have that buy-in with other stakeholders in the business that ultimately are going to want to see some result off the back of it. Other mistakes would include things like under-preparation. Be clear on what are the takeaways that you want a listener of the podcast to walk away with and you know write them down on a piece of paper like we're going to do a podcast about x our listeners will walk away knowing x y and z and then ensure that you're kind of sticking to that every single episode or that you're you're kind of feeding into that one of the points of podcast from my perspective is just that repurposing that content atomization potential I want to be getting a minimum of half a dozen clips off the back of each 30-minute podcast episode. I want to be writing a blog post off of it. I want to be creating really high-quality transcripts and show notes. I want to be maybe packaging it up as sales enablement collateral so I can give it to my sales team and say, you know, look, we interviewed one of our target customers on this interview. Here are 20 other buyers that are in our pipeline that we think you should be sending this to. And here's what you should be saying about why they should care about it. So those are a couple of things that I think I see brands fall short on. Yeah, absolutely. Finally, I did want to bring it back to what you do in your day-to-day auditing and helping with strategy. And so firms that are setting up their marketing who are in these earlier stages, what are some structural organizational mistakes that you see them make? The structural and organizational mistakes I see companies make when it comes to building out a marketing function is failing to develop a plan to achieve marketing and sales alignment. The companies that I work for at B2B Better are companies that are selling into enterprise customers. They're working against long sales cycles. They are trying to capitalize on short windows of sales opportunity. They are locked out of accounts if they fail to win a bid for a minimum of three to five years. And it's really important for a marketing function to be creating demand within their industry for their products and services so that sales, when that moment comes, when the customer flips from being out of market to in market and ready to buy, 
is able to capitalize. But you can only effectively create demand and enable sales to capture that demand when you have really tight marketing and sales alignment. There are a couple of factors in that. So I think the first is ensuring that there is leadership representation for both marketing and sales that you don't have marketing kind of reporting into a sales leader, that marketing does have a seat at the table because no doubt sales will. Ensuring those leaders are collaborating when it comes to objective setting at the beginning of each year and reviewing those objectives every quarter. When the teams work in silos, when it comes to objective and goal setting is when you start really experiencing the pain of misalignment between these two functions. Ensuring there is really close and regular communication between marketing and sales at all levels. One of the ways to do that is just the weekly sales meeting. So having marketing invited to that and having both departments providing updates on, okay, well, what marketing campaigns are we running at the moment? How are they performing? Does sales have any intel in regards to customer feedback, prospect feedback, competitors, anything like that? Are we meeting the requirements of our SLA service level agreement that we've put in place? You could also even expand it from just a weekly touch point to introducing a buddy system. I've seen that work in some companies where a marketing person and a salesperson are put together with no hard and fast rules of what they have to achieve other than just help each other be better at what you do. That can be a really great way of integrating the two teams. So from a structural and organizational point of view, figuring out how to get both marketing and sales in lockstep with one another is one of the biggest challenges, but also greatest opportunities for organizations selling into enterprise. When you're working with organizations, is there anything that consistently surprises you when you come in and you audit and you're looking at what foundations have been built and how processes are? Is there anything that consistently surprises you? Mm. Lots of companies don't have CRMs. It's actually really mm. surprising. And, and not just like tiny little startups, big businesses that are turning over hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in revenue every year. They're not working off of a CRM. Or if they do have a CRM, it's just not being used or, or updated at all, which is shocking. I just find it mind boggling because the foundations of any effective marketing strategy have to be built on not data, but insights derived from data. And if that data is not being captured and updated and cleaned regularly in a platform like HubSpot or Salesforce, I mean, you're almost setting yourself up for failure before you've even gotten started. Mm. Are there any practical tips that you would give for CMOs or even marketing leaders who want to become CMOs based on your experience? If you want to become a chief marketing officer... I would question why, and I don't say that in a way to put people off, but just really consider what goes into that role specifically. If you enjoy being hands-on and creating work, if you find it difficult to delegate or let go, even if you're letting go and you're introducing a risk of failure, if you don't feel comfortable talking in numbers and what comes to mind fighting your corner when times get tough and everyone's looking at cutting costs and marketing is naturally the place where people tend to look first, then being a CMO might not be the right move for you. If you want to go down that road, listen to podcasts like this, right? And speak to other CMOs and really understand what does that role entail. If you decide that you do want to go down that road and say, great, I understand it, it's what I want, then my experience is the quickest way to get there is to be able to articulate how work that you have done historically has contributed to financial success. 
for an organization. It goes right back to the, one of the first things that I said. Marketing is there to drive business just generally. Certain facets of the marketing spectrum aren't necessarily able to directly attribute their efforts to financial success. But overall, as a CMO, what you are going to be judged on is, is this function helping us close our revenue targets and hopefully exceed them? So as you're kind of in your earlier career and you're gearing up to make that move at some point in the future, be selective on the projects that you choose to pursue and try and choose the ones that are going to be able to demonstrate a financial outcome at the end. Awesome. Great advice. Thank you so much for spending the time with me this week. I super appreciate it. You got it, Tom. Thanks so much for having me. So thank you for listening to The Sticky CMO. We're available on the podcast app of your choice, as well as on YouTube as a video podcast. For more information on how to become indispensable to your organization, please visit us at www.tombaskill.com, spelled B-A-S-G-I-L.